What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Saturday, July 8th, 2023. And tonight we're talking about a Cardinal win. Wouldn't you know it? The pitching came through on Saturday afternoon on the south side of Chicago. 3-0, the Cardinals emerged victorious in this game over the White Sox. Thanks to a nice performance from Miles Michaelis getting off the schneid after it's been a while. I mean, since he had won a game, May 30th was the last time he registered a win. And I think it had been six Miles Michaelis starts that the Cardinals had lost consecutively before Miles got the W on Saturday. And all was well with the bullpen as Giovanni Gallegos, Jordan Hicks were the only two guys the Cardinals needed from that group. Very different from the way things proceeded on Friday. And so the Cardinals get a pretty easygoing win. And that hasn't really been a frequent occurrence this season. So take them when you get them, I guess, Cardinals fans. Cardinals win 3-0 over the White Sox on Saturday. And we'll break it down. Tonight we'll talk about the Michaelis performance. We'll talk about how the Cardinals scored their runs. Wasn't a great game offensively necessarily, but a couple of performances that were standout that are worth talking about. Jordan Walker is, of course, one of them with his ninth inning home run, continuing to just do the damn thing. The 21-year-old Jordan Walker contributing in so many ways offensively to the Cardinals. Also tonight on B-Shape Daily, we'll get into the weirdness revolving around Giovanni Gallegos as... You remember a couple of years ago, it was a Gallegos outing when Joe West took his hat at the same ballpark, guaranteed rate field, although I don't remember if they called it that yet at the time two years ago, but that was the entire first domino, really, to fall in the substance, the sticky stuff saga that has enveloped MLB for the last couple of seasons. It was that rant from Mike Schilt that really kicked it all off after They made a big to-do about Gio's hat. Well, another Gallegos incident today when it pertains to uh, the old rosin bag at Guaranteed Raid Field. So we'll try to break down what the heck happened with some of that. And we'll talk, too, about Jordan Montgomery. We got somewhat of an update on his injury, and I didn't consider it to be a positive update based on the way I'm reading things. So we'll dissect that a little bit as well. And we'll talk some Tink Hentz, the Cardinals pitching prospect from that 2020 draft class who has reached the double-A level by now to Springfield just recently. But Tink Hens pitching in the Futures game. They're out at the uh, All-Star festivities in Seattle. So we'll talk about that outing for what a future Cardinal could look like and, and how soon maybe Tink Hens could make his way to the big leagues. The Cardinals could certainly use a pitching prospect of his caliber landing when he eventually gets to the big leagues. Landing and staying, that's been... The challenge for the Cardinals when it comes to pitching prospects, getting those guys to become mainstays in the starting rotation and be successful at the big league level. Talk a little Tink Hentz and what his future could hold. But before we get into the meat and potatoes tonight, we'd like to remind you to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. You can find it, youtube.com slash at bschaefer12. Cardinals content year-round. We're a couple of months into this venture, about three months now since we really got going with the channel and just reached 1,200 subscribers today. So appreciate you guys for hopping on board. If you haven't yet, would love to have you do so. It's just your benefit. If you're a Cardinal fan, it's free. No reason not to hit that subscribe button and enjoy the Cardinals content the rest of the way as we get into the trade deadline and certainly into the offseason as well as John Mozeliak and company try to revamp this roster. We know it is certainly going to be a necessity that they do so. But you can also follow B-Shave Daily 
If you like the audio-only version of the show and you're not worried about catching the live streams on YouTube, which you should probably want to at least be locked in on that just in case uh, for the times that we do go live. But audio-only version of B-Shape Daily, available on Spotify. Follow us over there. Would really appreciate that. Or if you have an iPhone, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts for the Daily Cardinals podcast that you're hearing right now. And to take your support of the channel to the next level, you can check out patreon.com slash bshafer12. Let's get right into it, though. Miles Michaelis, he was darn good today. It seems like every few outings we get this version of Miles Michaelis. It's happened a few times this season where he has gone at least seven innings and has not given up any earned runs. But the consistency of Miles Michaelis, I guess I should say that version of Miles Michaelis showing up for the Cardinals hasn't really been there, but we know what he looks like when he's at his best. He's not necessarily striking out a bunch of guys. Today, he was able to fire off six strikeouts in his seven innings of work. Didn't walk anybody, though. That's a staple of the vintage version of Miles Michaelis and efficient with his pitches, right? He's getting that soft contact. He's relying on his defense. He's not allowing guys to barrel him up. Only four hits allowed. Like I said, no walks, no runs, of course. One of his best outings of the season. But we've seen that a couple of times from Michaelis. He had a seven-inning scoreless outing on the 25th of May. Five days later against the Royals, went eight scoreless and had a season-high strikeouts with 10. But today, the third time of the season, he's gone at least seven without allowing a run. And yeah, he was darn sharp today. The Cardinals have needed this version of him. They haven't gotten it all too often. You can look over the stretch where he just was not able to get any wins. Like the Cardinals did lose, looking at the box scores and the game logs here now, six consecutive Miles Michaelis starts, and he lost four decisions in that span. He was allowing way too many hits. Some of the soft contact that you'd like to see was turning into intermediate and more firm contact, hard contact against Michaelis. Occasionally would walk batters and uh, on, on some circumstances giving up the long ball. Michaelis was exactly where the Cardinals need him to be today. How often can they find that version of him the rest of the way? We'll maybe determine how stable that rotation spot will be, but it's not that he's ever really had a problem getting deeper into games. That was something that he dealt with maybe at the beginning of the season. A lot of Cardinals uh, were having some intermittent trouble there. Only three and a third innings going back to the first start of the season for Miles Michaelis in that opener against Toronto. But otherwise, he's been a guy going at least five all but one game this year. And during that stretch from mid-May to now, he's only had one game where he's gone fewer than, well, two games where he's gone fewer than six innings since mid-May. So he's been a guy that's been, even when he gets hit around a little bit, he's still going six, seven innings most of the time for the Cardinals. So that's been impressive and nice and it helps the bullpen. But for the role that Michaelis needs to be playing in this rotation, the Cardinals do, I think, need him to be more consistently the guy that he was today. Obviously, it's a situation where the Cardinals are in dire straits, and so everything we say about, well, here's what, they, here's what they're looking for, here's what they're trying to get out of their guys, it's all sort of a pie-in-the-sky thought at this point that they could make a run for the NL Central. Uh, the Reds, by the way, winning again today. They are now 10 games above 500 and a couple games clear of the Milwaukee Brewers. Cardinals still 12 and a half games back, sitting at 15 games below, but... I think it's important for guys like Miles Michaelis, who we know are going to be fixtures on next year's team, to finish strong in 2023. For the outside chance that the Cardinals could make the playoffs, for one, which is a very, very long shot proposition at this point. But more than that, you want to see what this team is going to look like and maybe be set up for success right away next year. Not having to go through 
a prolonged rebuild, the likes of which Cardinals fans just have not had to experience in the last, what, 20 years or more. That just has never been something the Cardinals have gone through. They had one losing season in 2007. They fired the general manager, installed John Mozeliak, and they've never looked back until this season. And as they're doing so, they're doing it rather reluctantly because we haven't heard a lot of John Mozeliak in terms of, yeah, we completely botched this season and it's over and we need to do better and we need to quickly rebuild it. We've heard a lot of, at least in the early going of this first half, a lot of excuses or a lot of, well, just be patient. We believe it's going to turn around. I think at this point, most people with good sense know that it's probably not going to turn around. I was hoodwinked there for a while. I really thought that this team had it in them, and now it's it had become so exhausting to continue to feel like that was going to be the case, especially when I just had no emotional stake in it in the first place, right? I was trying to, on behalf of Cardinals fans, really, uh, really look at the bright side and the optimistic side and recognize that, look, this is largely the same successful players that they had last year. There's a lot of symmetry compared to uh, the team that won the division a year ago. But as we've talked a lot about, there's also plenty of differences between this year's team and last year's team. And I think maybe just, I, I don't know if it was the Cardinals, John Mozeliak, the front office, the players themselves, the coaching, whatever, everybody sort of underestimated the degree to which the differences might cost this team. The holdovers, guys like Arenado and Goldschmidt and a good amount of the pitching rotation, yeah, you had holdovers, but I just think that glue, whatever it was, I don't know if you can pinpoint it to one specific player like Yachty or Albert or what you would necessarily chalk it up to. But I think all in all, the number of changes, you know, some pipe, some people would say, well, Skip Schumacher, he's manager of the year, potentially with the Miami Marlins, and uh, he was a valuable bench coach. Like, a lot of things changed. I think we've talked a lot about all of the different things that are different now for the Cardinals this year compared to the success that they had last year. And I just, I just think... You stack one or two little rocks on top of one another and you make a nice little mound, and that's one thing. But then to put a dozen or 15 or 20 of those boulders on one another and then try to cross over to the other side, it, it's been a tough hill to climb, and the Cardinals just haven't been able to figure out quickly enough how to do it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. But all that being said, a guy like Miles Michaelis, you know, is going to be around next year. And so I think it's important for him to have a good finish to the season. They've signed him to a, a multi-year extension for 2024 and 2025. And he's one of the guys that they're going to be relying upon if we're going to believe the idea that this team can be competitive again quickly and not have to have a multi-year rebuild. Guys like Miles Michaelis are going to be important in helping to make sure that happens. So the version of him today that the Cardinals got, the one that pitches to his defense, that doesn't surrender a bunch of hard contact, that doesn't waste any time, Honestly, getting to the the balls in play and, and turning those into outs, that's Miles Michaelis at his best. He had 95 pitches through seven innings today, was quite efficient, arguably could have gone back out for the eighth inning. I didn't give it a second thought, the fact that they went directly to their bullpen at that point, because you knew that you had a couple of guys available that you were happy to use. And some Cardinals fans might disagree with that, but still, even in the midst of the struggles the bullpen has had, 
Giovanni Gallegos is the eighth inning guy that they trust. And for the time being, Jordan Hicks, the ninth inning guy that they believe in. So you had those guys both rested. Neither of them had pitched the day before. And so you just kind of figured it was going to be Gio for the eighth, Jordan Hicks for the ninth to go off the sheet and secure the three, nothing win as the Cardinals were able to do. But credit to miles. Michaelis could not have been easy to go six starts in a row without getting a win uh, to, to lose four consecutive decisions during that span could not have been fun. But Michaelis hopefully will remember this feeling. He'll go into the all-star break with a, with that good feeling in his chest about being able to kind of get back on the board. And maybe it's something that he can parlay into success in the second half of the season. But the bullpen was good today. That is the one thing you can lean back on. We spent a lot of time on yesterday's podcast, which uh, worth going back to check out if you didn't, because we uh, put a lot of good information there in what was that? Friday's B-Shape Daily on YouTube if you're watching it over there. Um, a lot of timestamps as to the different topics that we talked about. So if you missed the video entirely, and there's maybe one or two things that you're curious about, but you don't want to go back and watch an hour-long video or listen to an hour-long video from a discussion of a day or two ago because you might think it's outdated. The great thing I did with that podcast is put the timestamps in so you can check it out on Friday's Be Shave Daily uh, on, on Spotify. I, I think I did put the time stamps in there as well, but YouTube does a great job of just allowing you to click right on it, and it'll take you right to that spot in the video. Something I'm going to try to do occasionally moving forward, but let me know. I always value your guys' feedback. You can let me know in the YouTube comments, or you can send me a direct message on Twitter at bshafer12 what you think of the idea of doing uh, the timestamps, whether those help you or not as a listener of the show. It's something that can be time-consuming, so I may not get around to it tonight. But if it's something people enjoy, let me know, and that will compel me to try to make it happen as often as I can. But the reason I bring that up is because, yeah, we've railed on the Cardinals' bullpen. Talked yesterday about how there really is nobody that's been good for the duration of the season. Jordan Hicks, I believe tonight with his clean performance in the ninth inning, did lower his ERA. Yeah, he's now down to 3.93 for the season. So he might be the only guy other than Dakota Hudson who hasn't pitched a ton only a couple of games under his belt at the big leagues this season. Only guy with a sub-4 ERA in the bullpen, and Hicks has certainly earned that. Has done a nice job recently. Did give up a couple of hits today. Uh, but Gallegos down to 4.25 with his ERA, gave up one hit, and did look particularly sharp. Had two strikeouts. The stuff was looking very good. Jordan Hicks had good stuff today as well. But Gallegos in particular had good stuff, and, and so good, in fact, that the uh, umpire, Lance Barrett, multiple times decided he just needed to, to wipe him down, needed to towel off Giovanni Gallegos, uh, I guess as a result of uh, the hot pitching that he was putting out there. I don't know. No, he got toweled off by the uh, umpire before even getting into the game and, and throwing a pitch. And then it happened again later on in the inning where the umpire towels off Giovanni Gallegos. Happened twice in the same inning. And again, as we mentioned off the top, this is the same ballpark where the whole hat gate situation took place back when Mike Schilt was the manager 2021 and it was the dirty spot on Gallegos's hat that got I think it was Joe West at the time all in a tizzy and that was something that Mike Schilt was not too happy about because he was basically saying look there's guys using spider tack we didn't know what spider tack was at the time in the context of MLB all that has since come out and obviously the substance ban they've cracked down on those sorts of things when it comes to the sticky stuff. But Mike Schilt was apoplectic that day with regard to the way Gallegos was handled. And now here we are again, Cardinals playing at the Chicago White Sox in another incident involving Gallegos. Reading some tweets from Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat because he's on the south side of Chicago 
uh, four of these games covering them, said the crew chief Alfonso Marquez told a pool reporter that umpires have been told to look out for rosin being applied to glove arms and make a point to remove it. That's the stuff we look for, he said. This has nothing to do with the White Sox. Although it is very fascinating that it happens again to Gallegos, specifically in this ballpark, specifically. Uh, Jeff had said, just Jeff Jones again from his Twitter account, at JM Jones. Gallegos said the first towel off was initiated by the home plate umpire who saw him tap off his arm with the rosin bag. Then before the second, someone in the White Sox dugout yelled that he did it again, which made Gio angry, especially given the setting. Gallegos was pretty demonstrative coming off the mound after that inning. And yes, he was toweled off because the rosin was on the glove arm, according to Marmel, which is technically not allowed, but it's atypically enforced. And of course, today it was enforced. That's from Jeff Jones. Yeah, I mean, they, you don't have this stuff enforced, right? How often do you see simple stuff like rosin and the application of rosin? They put it on the mound for a reason, right? The pitchers are able to use it, but Gallegos gets sweaty out there and daps up his arm with it, which I guess you're only supposed to put it on your hand. But I'll tell you what, man, like I think of it playing, I play disc golf, right? You're outside, it's hot, it's humid, and you want to try to get a grip. You, you, you can use that rosin or whatever on your hand. And in my case, it's like the disc will slip out of your hand if your hand is is clammy or wet or whatever, you know, soaking with sweat, as I imagine these major league pitchers probably experience. But, like, when you're out there in a ballpark in that setting and it's hot, I would think your arm would get really sweaty too. So you'd want to try to get the moisture off the arm. And I'm not saying that these things aren't done to try to improve the grip, but I just think the the whole damn thing has jumped the shark when you think about the sticky stuff conversation. Rosin has always been allowed to be on the mound. They have the bag there for the pitcher's and to selectively decide how to police the usage of rosin when it's not like nobody's accusing him of having spider tech. Nobody's accusing him of having sticky stuff. That's what the between innings checks for the umpires are, which is very strange to me the way that Gallegos has again been singled out by all of this. Let me know what you think about that. I thought it was a little bit interesting. Jeff uh, of, of the Belleville News Democrat, again, Jeff Jones, put out uh, a screenshot on Twitter to say basically nothing was different about his pitch data in terms of spin rate or anything like that. It looked pretty much in line with what Giovanni Gallegos always had, but the stuff looked very sharp with a couple of strikeouts today for Gio. So kind of a weird sideshow moment from today's game, but nothing ultimately that I think amounted to anything substantial other than Gallegos getting a little pissed off. And it just kind of feels strange too, because the Cardinals have have gone through enough, right? This year, they're 15 games below 500 after the win today. And it's like the last thing they need is to, be accused of cheating. Like if the Cardinals are cheating, man, they're not doing a very good job of it. Just a weird thing. And, and Gallegos, obviously his season has been rather up and down as well, been through the ringer. And so for him to be dealing with that today, probably was not his favorite thing, but was able to have a nice outing. Nevertheless, Jordan Hicks did his job, got a little bit dicey there in the ninth with a couple of men on base and a line drive out to left field. But Lars Newbar secured it. And Cardinals got the win as a result. By the way, Newbar, I think looks very good in left field. I think he looks completely fine. I know there are people out there who feel differently about Newt being in left versus uh, Jordan Walker being in left, and, and Newt Bars had a lot more experience this year in right and looks good in right. Jordan Walker doesn't really look great wherever you put him. I 100% believe they're doing the right thing now. Uh, like I said, if I'm on the island there, if others maybe don't agree with me, that's okay. I just feel very strongly that I think Newt Bars should be in left. I think he looks completely comfortable out there. 
is able to get the balls, is able to make the plays that need to be made. Uh, and, and Jordan Walker, I, I think keeping him in right field where he can can grow and learn and improve from there and just kind of stop moving him around would be the answer. We'll see, though, if that ends up happening because when Tommy Edmond gets back, when Tyler O'Neill gets back, how do the Cardinals manage the outfield situation? To me, it is a very simple matter of just hashtag everyday Dylan continuing to play Carlson. And when Dylan Carlson is in the lineup, you've got one spot that he belongs. Like, the center field job is his. Quit messing with it. I don't think it makes any sense to continue uh, moving around and experimenting. Like, you always come back to the same answer because it's the right answer. Carlson playing center. Today, he had a really weird day offensively where he only had one at bat. He, he went 0 for 1, but it's because he walked three times and worked some full counts and was able to get on base. He's done a really nice job at the plate. The OPS for the season for Dylan Carlson is up to 715. He's turning into a solid on-base guy with the number of walks that he's drawing. Not a great power guy. If he could add some of that doubles pop and hit a few more home runs, I think we'd really be cooking with something when it comes to Dylan Carlson offensively. But he's got the on-base percentage up to 342 this season, which is just one point lower than the one he had in 2021, which was kind of his breakout rookie season. Uh, Played 35 games in the COVID year, right? And so I don't know if that lost him rookie eligibility or how that worked. I can't recall. Uh, But for 2021, he had a 780 OPS, and he's got basically an identical on-base percentage to the one that he had that year when he was a really good offensive player. Uh, The difference is he he hit 18 home runs that season, and this year uh, he's got just five, but has only taken 166 at-bats as well. So continue to get Dylan Carlson opportunity, and I think you're going to see those numbers go up. Like the five home runs, 20 RBI, I I think are just – those are going to come with time. Uh, The power is going to come with time, and the on-base is something that's already – happened for him with the 715 OPS. What I think is so interesting about that is you compare it to Lars Newpar, who they're continuously putting in the third spot in the lineup. He's got a 742 OPS, higher batting average, 260 versus 241. But Lars Newpar's OPSing 742 after a one for four day today with a couple of strikeouts. Cardinals had 14 strikeouts on the day, by the way, uh, facing Tuki Toussaint, which was supposed to be more of a bullpen game type of starter, but he was Uh, able to go deeper than he really has most of the time this year, getting through five innings with five Ks, and the Cardinals just absolutely flailing at the bullpen. Aaron Bummer, Renato Lopez, and Tanner Banks combining for nine strikeouts against the Cardinals in four innings. But you're at a point now where Dylan Carlson, in terms of OPS, is merely 27 points behind Lars Nupar, who they're batting in three-hole a lot of the times against right-handed pitching. And I understand the reason they want to do that. They're still trying to manufacture a good threatening left-handed bat to go between Goldschmidt and Arenado so that when the opposing manager brings in the righty to make sure they've got the best matchup they can for Goldie and Arenado, the guy batting in between them is a left-handed batter that gets the advantage of facing that right-handed pitcher. And the Cardinals just don't really have that sort of bat with Nolan Gorman falling by the wayside a little bit, although his OPS is still 40 points higher than Newpar. So I'm a little confused why they are so insistent upon it. Like I said, I know the reason. I just don't think he's that guy that should be in that role. Uh, they bat him more toward the bottom of the lineup when they face a lefty, so it is very platoon-based, but I would just prefer to see them stack Goldsmith and Arenado back together and try to figure out a different way to go about it. Jordan Walker going two for four today with a home run, hitting 287 with an 812 OPS. I would bat him second. I would bump Goldsmith down one spot. Yes, you're going to have three righties in a row. I am okay with that. Personally, I just think that would be a, a better alignment than, than forcing the issue with Newpar batting in the three-hole. But 
what I mentioned that is because it's like they don't treat Dylan Carlson like a guy that could ever bat third. And I know the platoon difference would make it so that as a lefty from the left side, Carlson's not really as strong. And so you're probably you're betting him last today for that reason. He does tend to move up in the lineup when the Cardinals are uh, are facing a left-handed pitcher and he can bat right-handed. But they just the the differential between the way they sort of boost Newt Bar to a pedestal, which I don't think is totally undeserving. I'm a very big Lars Newt Bar fan, but it feels like it's at the expense maybe sometimes of a Dylan Carlson. And right now it's not really all that noticeable or that big of a deal because Dylan's getting to play every day. But that's because you have Edmund on the IL when they always play him in center field. Like Edmund, <laughs> if Edmund's playing the outfield, it's in center. It can't be anywhere else. Even though he started a few games, uh, played right field earlier on in the season. Edmund's out right now. Tyler O'Neill is out, but coming back rather soon. And so what are the Cardinals going to do when those guys are back in the fold? The answer should not be relegate Dylan Carlson back to the bench. And the answer should not either be put him in right field. Dylan Carlson should be this team's center fielder every day. See what it looks like. I know that means you're going to have the squeeze on some other players. And, you know, sometimes that could mean Lars Newpar. That could mean uh, having to, to cycle some outfielders into the DH spot just to get them some at-bats. And I think that would be a great way to use Jordan Walker right now. While Gorman can basically play second base every day, uh, especially with Brendan Donovan not able to play defense, it would make a lot of sense uh, to, to have that alignment. And then if you want to play more Tommy Edmond, that's good too when he gets back to health. Put him at shortstop. Paul DeYoung's OPS down to 728. He was one for four today, though. And something I wanted to mention about DeYoung, where I talk a lot about his empty calories of his OPS, which is declining and falling. I think he had an 0 for 13 or so that he snapped today. But Paul DeYoung just has not been a very clutch player this year. The difference being today he did have a, an RBI hit with a runner in scoring position able to drive home the run. I believe it was the Cardinals' first run of the day. But that's just 28 RBIs on the season for Paul DeYoung, and he's gotten a good bit of playing time to this point. So it's just not been a very productive clutch situation for Paul DeYoung where he's been able to come through in those moments. I don't think when Edmund returns that DeYoung should just automatically be glued to the position that he's been, which is the everyday shortstop. I would like to see more of a or of a split there. I don't know exactly the way you platoon it out because both guys are better against left-handed pitching, both Edmund and DeYoung. They're going to have to kind of try to figure it out, and that's part of where the trade deadline could come in as well. I'm not advocating specifically trading any one of these guys, but there are log jams, and I don't know if you're getting the most out of each of your players as a result because the consistency of their playing time, they're all everyday caliber names but they're not all getting everyday caliber playing time. And it's only going to get worse if and when Tyler O'Neill comes back, when Tommy Edmond returns, which presumably should be within a couple of weeks. So curious to see how that plays out. But I just wanted to point out, like, Dylan Carlson's batting toward the bottom of the lineup most of the time. He grinds out three walks today, plays a very good center field once again. He's only hitting 241, but the 715 OPS, if he just bops a couple of home runs, which he's certainly capable of doing, Suddenly, you're going to be in a situation where he and Lars Newpar have basically the same offensive profile, and you kind of have to reckon with that because he Newpar has been treated like a prime guy, a middle order bat. And I, while I think he should be an everyday player for sure, and and I don't really advocate trading him away unless you're getting the true ace that the Cardinals are looking for, then you might have to consider anything except for trading Brendan Donovan, which I will not entertain. But other than that, like I, I'm not saying trade Lars Newpar, but I am saying it's interesting. The gap between Carlson and Newpar, and I've kind of alluded to this already this week, but it, it only drew a little bit closer today with a good 
offensive day by Carlson, despite the fact he got no hits, getting on base with a walk three times and uh, not striking out, just going 0 for 1. Continue to be impressed by the at-bats that Dylan Carlson, or I guess I should say the plate appearances that Dylan Carlson is taking. And the way they divvy up that playing time, if there are no trades in a big way from this position player group, is going to be interesting to track the rest of the way for the Cardinals. But with the way it's gone so far, it just kind of boggles my mind a little bit, the narratives that form about certain players. And I even kind of heard it uh, today from Ricky Horton on the radio broadcast, which I love Ricky. I think he does a great job. But it struck me as interesting where he was giving Dylan Carlson props for the job that he's done in center field recently, but he kind of spoke the way I would imagine the team thinks and speaks about Dylan Carlson to say that, yeah, you know, really thought he played a better right field last year than he did center field, but he's really uh, made made some strides in center this year. I really haven't viewed it that way at all, but it's interesting to me that Ricky said it that way because based on the actions of the Cardinals with the way they've handled the playing time, it almost feels like that's Ricky Horton talking to people in the know with the Cardinals and sort of forming that opinion and you're hearing. And again, that's not to say that Ricky doesn't have opinions of his own. He certainly does. But I just think it's interesting knowing how probably connected and plugged in he is that the Cardinals maybe view it that same way as well, that Dylan Carlson didn't look as good maybe in center field and now he looks better. I just thought he's always looked really good personally. I thought last year it was very clear that he was a good center fielder. And that was honestly why it made everybody so comfortable to trade Harrison Bader. He really made that center field job his own last year. So, you know, I don't really know. That was maybe just a one-off comment uh, by by Ricky there. But I certainly have thought that, that Dylan Carlson has been the premier center fielder in this organization ever since he really stepped into the role during the injury of Harrison Bader last season. So I would like to see more continued opportunity for Dylan Center. That is not a surprise to anybody who listens to this podcast regularly. Uh, I, th- I just think he's really done a nice job. And they, they talked about the way that Tommy Evans stabilized that position but I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because anytime that Dylan Carlson is in center field, he is also stabilizing that position. And and I think doing so with just more general experience, like Tommy Edmond runs out there like a bat out of hell and he can make some great plays and he has really good instincts. But I just think Dylan is the more complete center fielder. And you can tell me, well, the metrics are going to say this and what I, I do not care. I consistently see with my eyes Dylan Carlson doing really, really good things in center. Not to denigrate what Tommy Edmond has done, but I just I just think it should be Dylan's job even after Edmond returns. But to be specific, it's when he's in the lineup. If you're not going to play Dylan every day, we obviously don't agree with that because of the, the hashtag that says they should play him every day. But when he is in there, he has to be your center fielder. And I think they've gotten so caught up in the notion of stability and needing to have it be the same guy in center field every day, or at least wanting it to be that way. And I think that's been to the team's detriment because I don't think you really miss a beat when Dylan goes out of the lineup and then comes right back in and he can pick right back up in center field. Um, But they've definitely valued the consistency of that, which I guess the answer to that would be, okay, if you do want the uh, same day or the same center fielder every day, you probably should just have it be Dylan Carlson. He's done a nice job, not only defensively, but offensively. So there's my little Dylan rant for the day. I know we have a few of those every week, but like I said, it sometimes feels like I'm taking crazy pills with the narratives that form about Dylan Carlson. I think he's done a marvelous job in center field defensively and the numbers offensively. Like there are times where I can't really defend him because he's OPSing 660 or whatever. And I'm like, all right, that's Tyler O'Neill territory almost, but no, he's, he's getting those numbers up and is doing a nice job uh, taking ABs right now too. So kind of is what it is on that front. A couple more notes about the game before we get into the Tink Hent stuff from the futures game. 
I mentioned the Jordan Walker home run just continues to do nice things offensively. Golf the curveball out there to left field. I think it bounced off the top of the yellow line. It was kind of surprising to see that the left fielder was not able to bring that in. I think it just was a mistimed leap and, and probably could have hauled that one back in. But Walker gets credit for the home run, which is great to see for him and for his numbers as he continues to build a nice rookie campaign. Mentioned yesterday, Corbin Carroll looked like he had hurt his shoulder and was potentially going to be out for a little bit of time. He's been back in the lineup for the last couple of days despite that, and today had the walk-off hit as the Diamondbacks beat the Pirates in extra innings. So, so much for that. Carroll's going to be the uh, the rookie of the year, but he's a deserving one, and so I'm, I'm glad that he's okay and not injured. But Jordan Walker now, eight home runs on the season. Like I said, OPS uh, north of 800, doing a really nice job offensively. I keep moving up in the lineup, but I understand. Five five or six or so, he, where did he bat today? He was six today. That's probably where he's going to reside for the most part. Uh, but doing a really nice job. Brendan Donovan didn't have a great day, 0 for 5, but he did have an RBI on a chopper that uh, just like bounced really high near home plate toward the third base side, and he was able to beat it out. Or I, I guess I should say he didn't beat it out. It was a ground out, but uh, Yvonne Herrera able to score from third as a result of the high chop. It's just a very Brendan Donovan play. Like, it's not something that you want to laud. Say, oh, nice job hitting a, a weird, weak chopper, basically off the top of home plate. But it's just a very Brendan Donovan play that when there's a guy on third base and, and the weird chopper is going to get the run in, that's probably what Brendan Donovan's going to do um, because he has established himself, in my opinion, to be a pretty clutch player for this team. And we also talked about how Paul DeYoung got his uh, 28th RBI. Not not very clutch most of the time, but maybe that was the start of something new for Paulie D as the one hit he came up with today was a, a timely one for the Cardinals. All right, with one game now between now and the All-Star break for the Cardinals, just the Sunday matinee that we'll see Steven Matz on the mound taking on Lucas Giolito, we might as well get into a little bit of future talk because that might be what occupies the podcast for the next week or so as the All-Star break is going on. By the way, if you've got topics that you want me to riff on long form, this is the week to let me know about it. Let me know in the YouTube comments. Let me know at for 12 on Twitter if there's a, a podcast topic for between Monday and Thursday this week, or I guess Monday and Friday morning, because there's not going to be any Cardinal games to talk about. And so we'll try to do some podcasts. It may not be every day when there's no content to get into, but certainly would be interesting if you've got a uh, something you'd like for me to riff on for 30 or 40 minutes. This is the week to let me know because I will have honestly nothing but space to fill on the podcast. So hit me up at bshaper12 on Twitter or dive into the YouTube comments replying to this video, but only if you like the video. If you don't like the video, I don't want to hear your comment. I'm just playing. But seriously, like the video and uh, let me know what you think. Any Cardinals comments goes when we talk about these YouTube videos. So appreciate you guys when you do jump in. You've done a great job of that, by the way. I read them all. I try to like them all. Sometimes I'll have the ability to respond. Uh, need to do better about that. But I do read all these comments, and I really like it when the – you guys are sending long comments. It's like, I know you're engaged in what we're talking about. So that's really always cool to see and hear the ideas that Cardinals fans have about what's going on. Even if I don't always agree with your comments, I've always been uh, very compelled to read through them and, and really like seeing what you guys are all about. But let's talk about Tink Hens because he had a nice showing today in the Futures game for the National League side, which I believe ended up beating the AL by a score of 5 nothing. Tink Hens was the second pitcher to get into the game, the first reliever, so to speak, to get into the game for the National League side, had a strikeout, a hit allowed, and a walk allowed in a scoreless inning of work. And the strikeout was a thing of beauty on about an 84-mile-per-hour curveball. Really good stuff from Tink Hens there. I believe he was touching like 98 miles per hour with the fastball. Tink Hens is a sight to behold, man. He's not a huge kid. 
kind of a lanky guy, listed at 6'1", 185. And I remember at winter warm-up back in January, it was really the first time I, I got to interact with him up close. And even then, he looked a little bit more built than he did just coming out of high school as like a like a young kid, the high school age when the Cardinals drafted him in 2020. I don't know if he was 16, 17, can't exactly remember what the deal was. He turns 21, though, in August is going to be the case there. So what do you think about Tink Hens after a nice performance in the Futures game? Everybody is now going to wonder, how quickly can the Cardinals get Tink Hens to the big leagues? Because boy, oh boy, do they need him in that rotation, right? Well, I thought some of the discourse was interesting from the Futures game, and the Cardinals tweeted out some highlights. I believe this was their tweet that I was checking this out on, but they were talking about on the Futures Game TV broadcast, the four-pitch mix that Tink Kentz possesses, and they were like, well, with that repertoire, you got to give him a chance to be a starter, but I think what they were kind of getting into is the idea that he could make for a nice MLB reliever. Cardinals need Tink Kentz to stick as a starter. If every guy that you draft with some decent draft capital ends up needing to be relegated to the bullpen, I'm thinking Tink Kentz is an example. I'm thinking Zach Thompson, right? They drafted him in the first round. He comes to the big leagues. He looks like a nice piece. He's in there as a reliever. They they send him back down to be a starter, and now it's kind of in limbo after he didn't really succeed in AAA as a starter, although I don't think that's entirely his fault because he was kind of thrust into a, a more rigorous role midseason and wasn't expecting to have to make that adjustment. So I'm not too undone about the numbers. I think he had like a 9 ERA in Memphis as a starter this season. But like it seems like consistently the Cardinals aren't able to get these guys that they spend these draft picks on to turn into bona fide major league starters. The next one that I'm curious to see what happens with is Michael McGreevy, who's turning in some nice numbers in Memphis, but it feels kind of like Dakota Hudson-esque in the way that a lot of people look at the strikeout rate. I think he's got 6.7 Ks per nine this season, which is not good. Uh, it's not a high number, but my thing is like if he's getting outs and you can project that he would at the big league level, it's not the end of the world. But we also have seen this year the way that impacts a rotation in a team when the starters aren't missing bats and aren't getting those strikeouts and and do rely upon the defense. My hope for Michael McGreevy, who I do believe in, by the way, I do believe he could turn into a good major league starter. You might ask, well, what's the difference between he and Dakota Hudson? I feel like McGreevy has the ability to still build some velocity even more and, and build himself into more of a swing and miss guy than Dakota has ever really been able to become. I think the luxury of time is still on the side of Michael McGreevy. I think anytime I've spoken to him about these things, he's got a really good head on his shoulders and has a great place to start from, which is not to say that Dakota Hudson doesn't have some of those same attributes, but I just have, I, I sense some confidence from McGreevy that he's going to be able to identify maybe where some of his shortcomings are and find a way to, to bridge those gaps the best that he can. I'm not saying he's going to be a, a 10K per nine kind of guy in the big leagues, but I think he can be a middle-of-the-rotation kind of arm. And, you know, a solid number three, number four isn't the worst thing in the world. But, like, I think there's some frustration from Cardinals fans when you see the team consistently have, it feels like they have the, a lot of those guys already. Although this year, I would argue that you've more had Montgomery as a as kind of a, a number two. And we'll talk about Montgomery's injury a little bit, by the way, too, before we get out of here. I meant to do that uh, with the update that we got from uh, from Saturday. But Montgomery more of a number two, Jack Flaherty more performing like, uh, I'll, I'll call it a number three because it's just been some inconsistency. And Michael is more like a number three. Th the problem has really been the fact that the fourth and fifth spot of this rotation have completely fallen off the map to where if you had a number three or another number four, like a Michael McGreevy being able to step into that maybe by next year, I, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. Again, it's not been necessarily that your entire rotation has been terrible every time. 
It's been you haven't gotten consistency from some of those guys who are supposed to be your top-end guys, which has relegated their status from maybe the one or two that it could be down to a two, a three, or a four in, in guys like Michaelis and uh, and Jack Flaherty with the way he's performed up and down this season. But with Tink Hentz, the, the difference is they did draft, I think, for the upside of Tink Hentz. When you draft for that upside, find a way to make it stick. Find a way to make it last. That's the challenge that I think the Cardinals are going to have to face here. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. They've had to really manage, or they felt compelled to really manage his workload. When you look at his professional innings pitched by year, uh, 52 and a third is what he threw last season. In 2021, at age 18, he just threw eight innings. Like, it was a very um, kind of truncated campaign for Tink Hentz as, like I said, a kid basically fresh out of high school. 2020, when he was drafted, there was no games to put him into right away. So his rookie ball happened a year later, and he was a year older, a little closer to readiness for that level, but just not a lot of professional experience. And then did get to go to the fall league last year, but total through about 60 innings. And now already this year, he's thrown 46 and two thirds. How aggressive or conservative are the Cardinals going to be? Because we're trying to answer this question of when could we see him? I, I mean, you're looking at a situation like with Yuri Perez, the stud for the Miami Marlins, the Cardinals were able to beat the other day. And then they sent him down, even though he's got like a 2.3 ERA and has been one of the best pitchers in baseball, honestly. But it's an innings cap thing. He's already basically brushing up against his career high in innings pitched. And so they're going to try to really monitor and and stretch him out a little by little without as many stressful innings, I think is the reason they don't do it at the big league level. I think it's kind of a crock of crap, but I also understand that it is a very significant jump, and Tink Hens could be the same way. When you talk about a guy only 60 innings last year, how aggressive should the Cardinals be in trying to stretch that out? I think moderately so. I think you get him to 80, 90 innings this year, if you can, would be my recommendation, but maybe that's not the plan for him as the way they see it. But, like, he's going to be 21 years old in August, and so how long do the kid gloves stay on versus allowing him to hopefully continue building muscle and, and becoming more of a durable guy um, I, I don't have anything about his de- delivery to say that he can't be a durable guy, but just in general, trying to get his body to where they think it can withstand the workload that it's going to have to withstand if they're going to make him into a major league starter. And I think they do need to make him into one because, again, if every time you have a, an upside guy that throws 98, 99, whatever, he probably ends up throwing 100 the more he continues to grow. Um, you can't just always defer to turning those guys into relief pitchers when you're starving for consistency and upside in the rotation. So his numbers this year have been good. He started the year at a high A ball in Peoria, had a 2.81 ERA in 41 innings, and then has since made one start for double A in Springfield, where he threw five innings, allowed six hits and just one run, one walk in five strikeouts. He's got 51 Ks in 46 and two thirds innings this season for a total of a 2.7 ERA between the two levels. I say he goes double A the rest of the year, hopefully throws another 35, 40 innings, maybe gets over 80, gets to 90, whatever the, the plan for him is going to be. I think most of his starts, even when he's going well, you're going to probably see him throw five innings, and that's going to be about it. I don't know that they're necessarily going to get uh, too aggressive within a given game in terms of building Tink Hens up in that way. But I, I do think the future for him, as long as he proves that it, it's something he can handle, should be in the rotation. How soon could it happen? That's going to depend on the way the Cardinals want to handle it because historically we've seen them bring guys up late in seasons as a reliever 
And then the question becomes, do, do they stick in the relief role or do they ever get the chance to go back to be a starter? I, I think of kind of like the Carlos Martinez path. Uh, they, they sort of did that with Dakota Hudson late in 2018 when he was a reliever. Uh, Jordan Hicks is another example of a guy that was a flamethrower. And they, they actually brought him to the, the big leagues out of spring training that year after he spent the entire Grapefruit League play as a starting pitcher in the rotation. And then it took a long time for him to really get another crack at starting. So for me, I almost think don't rush Tink Hentz. When he comes up, have him come up as a starter. And so I would have no problem if we don't see Tink Hentz at all in 2024. Like if if they have him start at A next year and progress to A at some point and pitch in the minors all season... And if he's not ready to to make big, big league starts in 2024, don't bring him up. Don't thrust him into the bullpen and, and mess with his rhythm and routine the way we've seen the Cardinals do with so many pitchers. Sometimes it works to a guy's benefit to get his feet wet in the big leagues, but I think we've seen enough examples of it recently where it, it's almost like, I don't know if it's to their benefit to rush them along. Maybe it is to the big league team that year, but I mean, with the way the Cardinals are looking in 2023, you certainly wouldn't have anybody that you're you're thinking about their long-term ramifications come up as a reliever in this situation, which which hence is still too far away to be considered. But in a, in a season that's basically a lost one, suddenly the Cardinals have the opportunity to do a little bit de- development at the big league level, right? They can maybe call up a McGreevy for a late start this year. Like I don't think that would be too crazy. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I don't I don't think it would be an insane idea to get his feet wet. But when you get a guy's feet wet, do it in the same role that you expect them to fill when they're a mainstay for you on the big league team. For me, I would I would strive to allow Tim Kent the opportunity to be a starter when he gets to St. Louis, and I just think he needs to build up more innings before that can happen. So I would say Tim Kent's arrival 2025, but aggressively, like there's definitely room for it to be 2024. It's just going to be if and when that happens and he's successful, you run into the Yuri Perez situation, which there are worse things to run into. Having a guy be one of the best pitchers in baseball at 20, 21 years old, but not being able to know how deep you can use him into the season. Like I said, it's not an ideal situation, but there are worse things than having a really super talented guy on your hands and just trying your best to make sure that he stays healthy, which he's a pitcher, so guys get hurt. That's kind of the nature of it. But interesting to see Team Kent and what his progression is going to be. Uh, he could definitely hit big leagues by 2024. I think that's possible if he continues to throw well. But I also think it doesn't maybe make sense to bring him up as a reliever if your hope is that his long-term fit is as a starter. So we'll see what the Cardinals end up doing with Tink Henson and how they handle his progression. But I do think it's time to begin ramping up the innings, and they've done it slowly, but uh, hopefully getting him to, to, to 80, 90 innings this year would be uh, a mark that gets him a little bit closer to long-term rotation status when he gets to the big leagues. Let's talk, though, Jordan Montgomery before we get out of here because I forgot that I teased it and said that I would. We got somewhat of an update on his status today, and I I don't consider it to be a positive one. i got to be honest. I don't think the Cardinals are ultimately going to be able to trade this guy because I don't think he's going to be pitching for a while. The update, and i got to find the tweet from Jeff. It was Jeff Jones's tweet that I, uh, let's see here, that I happened to see earlier today after the game talking about the next steps for Jordan Montgomery. He tweeted, Jordan Montgomery will see Dr. Paletta Sunday night when the team returns home to discuss the results of his imaging today and determine a path forward. Now, before you get too concerned about it, that doesn't mean it's like an arm injury suddenly. It's still the hamstring, but Dr. Paletta is just the team doctor, and so he'll he'll handle all sorts of injuries, not just the arm ones. But the fact that that's the result of the imaging, that, yeah, we're going to wait and see him 
consult with the team doctor before we say anything else. Tells me there's enough there to kind of have to to really map out a timeline. And if you're mapping out timelines, well, the one thing the Cardinals don't have is time. Because before the trade deadline, you've got about three weeks. So I don't see Jordan Montgomery likely as a tradable player anymore. It's very, very bad news for the Cardinals if, in fact, that ends up being the case. If he's out for a good month to six weeks, which is what it kind of sounds like to me, and again, I, I may be completely wrong about this, but if he's got to consult, that probably means there's a grade one or a grade two strain or whatever, you know, you know the way that it goes. They'll have to kind of figure things out. And if he's consulting the surgeon, you know, maybe maybe there ends up being a surgery, which completely would would put him out of, of order for the rest of the season. Uh, it's not great. It's not great news because, again, this was the guy for the Cardinals in terms of extracting value from him at the trade deadline. And now you can't do that. And now you don't have somebody pitching in his rotation spot. It's kind of a really unfortunate double whammy that's going to set the team back. I mean, it really is for 2024. You could have gotten a nice piece. I'm not saying it would have been a, a, a super top prospect, but you could have gotten a nice piece, I think, whether it was a young pitcher that you take a chance on, take a flyer on, or a, a number, of, a package of guys that are younger in the minors that could have built toward potentially having a role in the future. I just don't think the Cardinals are going to be in a position to be able to do that now, and that is very bad. I mean, that is a very unfortunate set of circumstances Maybe I'm just overreacting to the fact that the, the first update we get is, well, we'll wait till the doctor sees him. But I, I think if that's the case, it's substantial enough to where they're going to have to be more diligent about mapping out a plan than, oh, we're going to kind of see how he feels over the next few days. The imaging came back clean and we're good to go. They didn't say that. And if, and if it was the case that it was clean, I don't think these steps would be uh, the next ones that they're announcing. So, Stay tuned to what that ends up looking like, but I don't expect to hear anything good, which again, doesn't mean for sure that he's out for the rest of the year, but that's not really the main crux of the whole thing. The crux of the whole thing is they needed him to not be out hardly at all, maybe a week or two. They needed him to be able to make another start before 731, and I don't anticipate that that's going to happen based on the timeline that I am imagining in my head. I'm just a dope. I'm not in Chicago, so I don't have inside info on this. I'm reading the tea leaves just like anybody else, but I don't think it looks very promising when it comes to Jordan Montgomery. We'll see though. And uh, we'll keep you updated on what that looks like and, and analyze it. Once we do know as the information comes out in the next couple of days. So that though is going to do it for this edition of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. I know I beg a lot for that, but it means a lot to get the subscriptions and to have you guys regularly listening uh, like this video, and uh, if you want to uh, hop on to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Patreon as well, great places to catch my content. Make sure to drop your comment below on the St. Louis Cardinals before you get out of here. But thank you guys so much once again, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace!